This is the Outback Way podcast, proudly sponsored by our HEMA Guidebook and Atlas. Welcome to the Outback Way podcast. I am Helen Lewis. Buckle up as we take you on Australia's longest shortcut, a journey through the heart of Australia. Welcome to the Outback Way podcast. Today, it gives me great pleasure to introduce David Bradley, who is an optometrist um, based in Brisbane. However, for many, many years now, he has been servicing the Nenagera lands uh, out at Warburton and Warakurna on the Great Central Road with optometry services to those Indigenous and remote communities. Welcome, Dave. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. That's great. Excellent. So, Dave, give us a little bit of a story about the history of the service you're providing. It's been some time and and I guess the progress, I guess the progression of that service and and some, I guess, even, you know, some of the uh, health uh, issues that are being faced out in those Indigenous communities uh, what and how things may have improved or just, just some of the background to the service, please. Okay. So I initially started um, servicing the communities of the Namajara homelands in 1998 when I was based in Alice Springs. And the I left Alice Springs in the early 2000s and there was a period of time where was no service provided, but then around 2004, we recommenced services and I've been doing uh, regular services since then. So we provide primary eye care to Nanajara people through Nanajara Health Services, which is essential core vision testing, glasses, eye health checks, particularly for issues around cataracts and diabetic eye disease, which of course are quite prevalent in remote communities they, and with older populations in remote communities. Great, excellent. And so you've been going out for some time. Um, I'm really interested to explore that notion of that continuity of service delivery because, you know, when we talk about the Outback Way, I, I often reference that, you know, if you can leave a place, you'll stay. And for those people who are um, actually in those communities and living, you know, on these dirt roads now, so it is actually quite hard for them to stay because their ability to get out when they need to for family or whatever reason if there's been rain or and they actually can't leave the community, the duration of their service is is cut short really because you can't live like that all the time. So I'm thinking, you know, if we can seal this road, the idea is that if you can leave a place 24-7, then those service delivery people and um, health and education will actually want to stay in those communities and will be able to feel feel comfortable staying for longer, which then builds trust and continuity of service delivery and so that we are actually then seriously getting some better health and education outcomes. And I guess in your experience, you've been a consistent and that continuity of service delivery since 2004. Have you you seen the value of, I mean, yes, we've still got dirt roads, but that continuity of service delivery, has there been an improvement, do you think, of the take-up and, you know, change in habits and behaviours to try and improve the outcomes in the communities that you've been servicing? Yes, I suppose um, I, from a consumer, there's two perspectives on that. There's the health service perspective, I suppose, where better access to communities assists then the health service provisioning process when it comes to the ability for them to provide services, to provide equipment the and ongoing service to provide staff, which is a massive issue too with the good access. And then the second perspective, I suppose, is the, the, the health consumer perspective, which is the in our case, primarily the Indigenous people of those, the Nanjara people of the Nanjara homelands. 
those people certainly they have learnt to cope with the level of service provision and their access to facilities that they've sort of been given. But I mean, it's a pretty fundamental core factor when it comes to healthcare in that if you can, good health outcomes come from increased compliance. And the, the easiest way to improve patient compliance is actually to improve the ease of access of patients to those facilities. And um, certainly good infrastructure is a you know a massive key to the start of that sort of process. And the the very one of the very first things I remember when I very first started working with Dunajara Health was that the most proud about was uh, in the very late 90s, they sealed all the roads inside the Aboriginal communities. And they literally that one act within the space of small towns, effectively, much improved improved health outcomes yeah. because it much reduced the dust and dirt and the, the degree of the disease that comes along with not having a clean environment. So, I mean, there's some really core cool things that come through from that. Yeah, that's excellent. And so the, uh, the value of um, sealing the outback way for the, you know, even just the optometry services, do you think that's going to, you know, how will that impact, do you think, the value on the, the quality of, well, I guess, well, improving that access, I guess, but do you think there'll be any real benefits from, from the sealing of the outback way in regards to the, well, even just even wider health benefits and outcomes? Uh, certainly sealing, I think, is going to make a massive, particularly with, unfortunately, with COVID, the, um, there's been big issues with access for the health service to be able to get staff in and get staff out more easily, and sealing the road would definitely assist in that process. But also, there's a degree of movement of the Indigenous people between the communities around the lands. And although the health service does a spectacular job when it comes to trying to create a terrific level of healthcare for the Indigenous people that they're looking after in Nanajara Health, to the point where they actually, you know, they have a terrific uh, aged care facility on the lands for the Indigenous people, the older Indigenous people of lands that are no longer able to care for at home. There's probably a really long period of time before someone actually gets to the point where they need to go into a care facility where they're an older Indigenous person that's, you know, almost guaranteed to have the diabetes and other complications. And their access to be able to get to good health service is actually sort of compromised a bit because they then become reliant on other people to drive them around mm. because their confidence in getting around on those dirt roads they does actually definitely diminish. It's a sensitive issue for Indigenous people because, you know, they don't actually, well, I think like anyone actually, they don't actually like to show their own weakness. Mm. So, you know, we have a terrific service for cataract surgery that involves flying people out at the moment because the infrastructure is not really the good enough to drive people out. So we fly groups of people out in groups to go and have cataract surgery done in Kalgoorlie. That service is true. service actually works well, although, I mean, one of the massive issues with that service mm-hmm. is that a lot of older people actually aren't really comfortable with flying on small planes. I mean, a lot of people actually don't like small planes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's your only option. And so because it is 900 kilometres from Warburton to Kalgoorlie and then it's 700 kilometres to Alice Springs from Warburton. So that's a very long drive for, for people to take to actually get that access. So a plane makes sense. But as you say, if the only way they can, the, the only way they can get there because the bitumen's not there on the road at the moment, the steel is unreliable because they could leave by car but then find themselves stuck in Kalgoorlie for two weeks because it's flooded or... Yeah. Something's happened and they can't get home. 
Um, and then that's a displacement as well because they're really not used to being in such a large centre either. Also, older Aboriginal people, you often find that there's a, quite a period of time, a decade or more before they really, you know, they to the point where they, they have some degree of independence, but they also some to some degree definitely reliant. And, you know, they literally can get transferred by family and friends the, into Kalgoorlie for, you know, certain services, but then they're reliant to try and get back out. Yes. So they, and then you've got all the issues that then pertain around the, you know, how they're actually taking care of their own health issues when they've not got access to their usual health service. Yes. Um, while right. they're out of, they're, they're, while they're off the land when it comes to things. I, the, I think, you know, greater infrastructure the, and a sealed road the, through the communities would actually, I mean, certainly for a good three months of the year where there's actually massive issues with mm. the, and particularly the smaller roads between the smaller communities, they've been cut through to the rainfall. But also I think uh, the, you know, certain health services, I mean, the certain nurses are just terrific nurses and they have been there for a long time that have, mm. and, you know, they're popular. People like to see people they know, they trust, yes. they have experience with. And, you know, I think if it was easier for just people to get around, you'd find that people would travel to see the nurse they want to see in the community they want to see albeit 100 k's or 100 you know 200 k's but if it's not a good road that they haven't got a good enough vehicle there's all those issues that really okay. uh, come from that and then of course then that brings us back to the first point I sort of made which is the convenience drives compliance so yeah. they so then small issues they with diabetes and as, a, you know, as an example then become bigger issues because they then they start actually have the serious, you know, sight threatening the complications of their diabetes because they're not having access to their medication. So, yes, yeah, it's yeah. very straightforward. Yeah. And another dimension to the service you're offering is also bringing university students out from Brisbane and, and going out on those bush trips with you. What are some of their observations and, and what do you think that's bringing to their education and as part of that service you're offering? Uh, I, I mean, the, we have a massive backlog of students that want to, you know, it's a quite a, a sought-after position to be able to be, come out and have that training experience. They mostly from, you know, they, they, they definitely get their skills up. They, they're taking the skills they've learned in a university text you know, context into, you know, really a very different context. So, actually really good for their skills when it comes to things. I also think I'm sort of a very sad thing about Australia, I think, is a lot of the young people, much as we're aware of the Indigenous culture, we... When you say to people, well, the, you know, the Nunjara people, you know, they don't speak English as their first language. Um, it's yeah. amazing how many people have no idea that there's Aboriginal people in Australia that don't speak English as their first language. Uh, and I think the more that we can appreciate Aboriginal culture for people that are actually uh, living the, a big part of their lifestyle is around their own traditional culture, that's great for all Australians. It's a, you know, it's a wealth that's, of knowledge for all of us. Yes, that's right. Adds real depth, doesn't it? That's great. Yeah, so that's really good. So, so those those students then get to see really uh, delivering a service in a really isolated community, and the the I guess the components of that, which would just be enormous value to them going forward into their. Well, what year? What year of optometry are they in when they come out? Uh, almost always, they're in their very final year, so their fifth year of studies, and those guys, a massive percentage of guys, because we've been doing it now for you know sixteen or seventeen years, the. A lot of those people have actually gone on, some have gone on to careers in actually Indigenous health and eye care yeah. uh, specifically, a few individuals. A lot have actually gone into work in a practice environment that allows them to do a degree of Indigenous eye health as part of that kind of process or they've integrated some degree of Indigenous eye health into like, you know, their career through the occasional service, you know, assistance to others, yeah. services from yeah, time to time. So 
because uh, you know a lot of students are really interested in that area, but their only real knowledge and experience of that is something they see on TV or read from a book. Or, so by actually sort of taking them out to that environment and showing them what this work really entails for a week, you know, they can get an idea about whether they really feel that, you know, okay, this is what it's all about. This is really fascinating. This is not for me. Or, wow, this is actually really rewarding yeah. work. And I'd actually like to get myself into a position work-wise where this actually can be part of my the career. So yeah, um, and I think that's where it's been. Uh, and that's, you know, that was part of the objective. The objective was actually setting up this whole system was to actually to get more optometrists actually involved in indigenous eye care. And, you know, the biggest, the stepping stone of that is actually giving them some degree of experience. It's really a daunting thing for a 21, 22-year-old who's just finished university to say, oh, okay, we've got this job opportunity for you where you're solely working in indigenous eye health and they've really not had any experience about what they're involved Absolutely. at all. Yes. And uh, the, so, you know, giving people that experience has actually allowed them, allowed them to actually, you know, open the door in their perspective. They really challenge them in their, their skills definitely. And then, of course, you know, a lot of them actually really find that work rewarding and they've actually managed to integrate that sort of element of care into their careers when it comes to the, you know, their future careers. And there's been a lot of really quite successful optometrists that are actually, you know, some of them have actually really specialised in the indigenous eye health and they run very big national programs now where they now bring in other optometrists to come and do, you know, occasional, they work for a week or two a year into other areas. So it's a great stepping stone. It's a great educational thing. And uh, culturally speaking, I suppose, would have been the other thing I'd probably interesting to talk about in that because it had been a long period of time, Mm. 20 plus years. There's been some interesting stuff that's happened, I suppose. Unfortunately, Indigenous life expectancy is still not great in comparison to Europeans in Australia. So, the uh, a lot of the people that you know now older the indigenous people from the Nanjara lands are people that you know I've known now for 20 years plus yes, yep. that were really not that old the I thought when you know I first started the treating them uh and those guys uh you know they do appreciate that quantity of care that comes mm. from from someone that they've known for a long period of time there's that trust that comes around they, yes. and I think having better access to be able to move between the communities and be able to move in and off the lands actually would they much broaden those guys' perspective on actually giving them, you know, quality of life. Mm. Uh, the biggest thing, I suppose, in the last few years that have changed is definitely, you know, mobile phone. The access just now, of course, has come right across the lands with all the exception of uh, Kirikara. And those guys, uh, it's amazing. I, I was really quite shocked with the mobile phone uptake. I, I suppose I, for some reason I just didn't think it was going to be. Yeah, right. That's good. Um, and that must be also good to provide reminders and, and, and actually being able to facilitate maybe some some more actual health contact, points of contact, I guess, as well. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think, look, so I don't think we're actually still quite at the peak of actually making it take full advantage of the, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, you know, I think it, uh, because that health service, you know, that we've not had a sealed road there, mm-hmm. you know, ever and the, we just assume that people are really comfortable with that degree of service and they're kind of happy with it. But when you look at something like mobile phone reception, which you thought, oh, okay, that'll be of some interest to some people, that the servicing the health work, you know, health workers come into the system, you know, mm-hmm. appreciate the fact that they can get, they can ring home, you know, when they're at work. Mm-hmm. But actually the massive uptake has been that the local Indigenous people, they actually really love, you know, mobile. They like to be about it, you know. So I think they're actually craving more communication and better communication. They, you know, better access they much more than we've actually really given them kind of credit for. Uh, and this is where I think better roads and structure would be you know, a massive thing. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks, David, so much. It's been a really great conversation. And 
thank you for your years of service to these Indigenous and remote isolated communities, as well as uh, really helping to facilitate further learning for many students in the optometry field. And uh, it's an excellent program and uh, it's obviously delivering great outcomes and, and much better continuity and health services for those for the Nanajara lands area. So thank you and thanks for your time. Well, thank you, Helen. I, I don't really need thanks. I actually really quite enjoy the job in itself and I found the work itself very, very rewarding. But um, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about the program and actually what we've actually managed to achieve. Excellent. Thank you. Cheers. Well, very good, everyone. Well, I hope you uh, enjoyed that episode and uh, all the very best with your travels and uh, enjoy travelling on the Outback Way and take care and safe travelling. Please uh, refer to your, grab a copy of the Travel Journal and, uh, and so you can plan your trip and also review your trip and journal your experiences and so you keep a memento with the new Travel Journal that's available. And there's lots of activities coming up throughout on the Outback Way. It's peak season now from July onwards. Lots of uh, great events to visit and to participate in and places to visit and uh, just uh, get busy having a look and, and seeing how you can interact and, and get to know some of the communities and the characters along the Outback Way. Take care, safe travelling. Enjoy your journey through the heart of Australia. Cheers for now. Thank you for tuning in to the Outback Way podcast. The show notes will be on our website at outbackway.org.au. If you are enjoying our podcast, please leave us a review. And if you're really enjoying our podcast, you may like to become a contributor through our Outback Way store. For $5, you can help with the production of our podcast. Please stay in touch. We'd really love to hear your stories. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Outback Way One. And finally, thanks to Perk Digital for producing our podcast, making your journey through the heart of Australia on Australia's longest shortcut easier. Please travel safely. The Outback Way podcast is all about your trip. We're really trying to make it easier for you and give you valuable information to make it more enjoyable. So we'd love your feedback. Send your questions, comments and travel stories to info at outbackway.org.au. And if you share your story, we may even feature you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us through the heart of Australia on Australia's Longest Shortcut. Cheers for now.